Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles transform the way they work. After closing their New York City showroom, they started doing virtual visits on Teams. And now people from all over the world can come into their showroom. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. He's covered the big events and talked to the biggest names in sports for more than three decades. Breeze, end zone, he hit it, 500 career touchdown passes. From Super Bowls to the World Series, he's been there, he'll be there, and he's here now for CMI, the Chris Myers Interview. I'm Chris Myers. Thanks for tuning in. And it's a pleasure to have Doc Rivers, head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, joining us. And uh, coach, it's good to see you. All, all the stops along the way. Did you did you think at some point you'd, you'd wind up in Philadelphia? Uh, well, no. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I have a nickname, Doc, and I, I finally made it to where I got the nickname from. I guess I can look at it that way. So, uh, But, you know, when you're a coach, uh, you become basically a gypsy in a, in a lot of ways. Unless you're a college coach, you get to stay in one place. But the NBA coaches and professional coaches, we travel. How would you relate um, this situation where you are now? I mean, you've had some obviously NBA championship. You've got obviously the young talent, Embiid and, and Simmons, I know, is part of, of the allure. Uh, but you jumped right out of one and right in, into the next. I know you're a guy who always has high expectations. So how do you feel about this so far? I love it. I love the situation. Um, you know, just coming in, ownership, um, you know, uh, Elton Brand and then Daryl, uh, you know, it's, it's nice when they give the coach the keys, Chris, and, and uh, you're able to drive <laughs> ship a little bit. So uh, it, it's really nice. Uh, the players are young, but very talented. And, you know, it's, it's different than, you know, let's say the Celtic team that I had that, that we won a title with. They were veterans. Um, they had already had all the accolades, and so they were ready to win. You know, this group is just young, uh, talented, uh, long, athletic, you know, and so a really interesting group to coach, fun group to coach. Uh, we are learning how to win together, uh, and, and so it's, a, it's just a really good fit. Yeah, speaking of coaching, you, you coached your son, Austin, with the Clippers, or uh, coaching young players, I should say, and uh, your son-in-law, Seth Curry. So yeah. uh, if you have to coach your mother, if you coach your mother-in-law, that that, <laughs> that could be a, a, another chore. Uh, but what, Listen, what, what is, is that like? Well, coaching your son is, is, is tough, Chris. It's, um, that was funny. It's not anything I wanted to do. Uh, but, you know, Dave Wool was the GM. Lawrence Frank was there at the time. And they kept pushing Austin like uh, they thought he would be a good fit on the team. And I kept thinking, that's my son that you're talking about. Um, you know, the way I've always looked at it, and I think I end up being right. Uh, if you're going to coach your son, he needs to be the worst player on the team or the best player on the team, you know. Uh, but when he's in the middle, that brings problems. Because whenever you play him, the guy to the left or right of him probably thinks he should be playing or should play more. And so – that creates his own set of issues, you know, uh, on top of we put him on a team uh, that has been well known to really not get along as a group before he was there. So uh, we were throwing him into the fire. But, you know, listen, he played great for me. Um, you know, he had career numbers for me. And so that part of it worked out more for him. Uh, but for the team and for me, I don't know if it works or not. 
But you, the, the Sixers had a chance. True, you recommended a, not a great fit. So better for him and you for him to, to, to be elsewhere. Go to the next. Well, we really didn't have a chance. Um, you know, we we looked at Austin, but we had already signed guys, and Austin wasn't coming to us anyway. So uh, okay. you know, before we had signed Seth, we would have definitely entertained signing Austin. But once we – uh, once I signed my son-in-law, I didn't. I didn't want the. Uh, I didn't want to coach my son <laughs> and son-in-law. That would have been difficult. <laughs> yeah, you already. Yeah, you already have your hands full. I can only imagine uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, you know, with the family and everybody hanging out. You know, you're, we're talking about Philadelphia, and it's been a while. Obviously, uh, great success there uh, with the 76ers. If you do that, you know what it feels uh-huh. like in Boston. But you're you're a Chicago guy, so so Maywood, a little bit of for those that don't know, I think like a little bit on the outskirts of of the city. How did how did growing up, uh, Doc, in Chicago, uh, kind of those roots, kind of most influence? Uh, obviously, you as a person, but maybe just first you as a, as a, as a coach, as a guy in basketball. Gosh, you know, Chicago is a uh, – if you grew up in Chicago, Chris, high school basketball is, is every bit as big as the pros, you know, in a lot of ways. You know, I remember the, the Daily News, their last day before it closed, on the back page, you would think it would have something about the Cubs, the White Sox, the Bears. No, they had the All-State team and pictures of high school basketball players because uh, that's what they lived back there. You know, when I grew up there – uh, it was only one state championship, and then it became two. Now there's like 4,000 uh, different class A, double A, and all that stuff. So, um, And the players, you know, growing up with Isaiah and Mark Aguirre and Terry Cummins and Daryl yeah. Walker, uh, I mean, think about that. We were all in the same classes, you know, one and two years apart. We played at the parks together every day, and none of us knew that the other one was that good because we played against each other every day and the games were so tough. Uh, and it wasn't until, for me, I traveled. The first time I ever got on the plane in my life was to go to a basketball All-American camp as a junior. And, you know, it was supposed to be the top 100 players there. And I go and I'm like, wow, guys at home are better. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize, yeah. I didn't realize it was going to be Mark Aguirre and Isaiah Thomas and, and Darrell and all those guys at the time. Uh, but I just thought, man, the competition is so much better at the park at home than at this top 100 camp. So uh, it was a neat place to grow up, especially in sports. So, Doc, how about how did your house become kind of a gathering place? I, I know that your dad put up some, some extra lights so people could see the, the basket and play hoops at, at night. But was it just about basketball or was there more there? It was more. My mom and dad. My dad was a cop, you know, uh, but my dad was also the basketball coach. Uh, growing up, the baseball coach, the football coach, the community leader. Uh, there were oftentimes I would come home and there was a mom and a child sitting on our couch. Uh, my dad was counseling him. Usually it meant that he got in trouble at some point because you don't bring <laughs> your son to a child's house unless you've done something that you shouldn't do. And so I had to sit there a lot of times and hear these long speeches uh, about not getting in trouble. And, you know, if my son get in trouble, I will be the first one to lock him up. My dad would tell me that all the time. So, uh, <laughs> but we also had a little hoop in the backyard, you know, and it was a small, like, it's amazing as a kid how big it looked. And then when you go home, like, it, it was a small hoop and a small, like, space to play in. And you would play four and four and five and five games in this little space. So um, it, it definitely required a toughness. Uh, that you had to play because there was no space 
uh, to play in. And my mom was a cook. So, you know, I went to every Proviso East high school basketball game from the time I was in the second grade until the time that I played for that high school team. And uh, after the games, my mom would all cook for the entire team. So for me as a little kid to have all these basketball players in my house uh, eating breakfast and eating lunch was, was awesome for me. Uh, it was my life. I didn't really care about the pros. I just wanted to be a player at Proviso East High School. That was it. And, you know, we, February being Black History Month, we, we think of, of the famous names of George Washington Carver, Rosa Parks. But I, I think many can relate to people in their lives that were in their own backyard or in their own family. And, and I'm sure your father, who I believe became a lieutenant in, in the police department before yeah. uh, retiring, uh, you know, obviously had more than just the usual father basketball influence, as you just kind of touched on. So is, is that someone who you would say, because you've inspired a lot of people already, uh, young athletes and people in and out of the sport. Uh, I'm sure he kind of, uh, I don't know if he, if he eased you into that or made you comfortable with being in that role. Yeah, it was my dad. My mom was the, the, the church going lady that, um, you know, gave me the verses every day. You know, um, she was tough as well uh, in a very loving way. You know, her favorite saying was, you're right where you're supposed to be, you know. Uh, and sometimes that was a great thing. And sometimes, you know, you lose a game or you get knocked out of a tournament and, you know, you come home and complain, man, we should have done this. And my mom would just keep cooking and and say, well, you're right where you're supposed to be. Basically saying, you lost, get over it, and do something about it. Um, but my dad was the first black lieutenant in, in Chicago, you know, uh, at the police force. And uh, he was just such a strong personality, a strong force, uh, big believer in doing it the right way all the time, uh, big believer in chasing, you know, he would always say, finish the race. You know, uh, when, when, when you talked about goals and what you wanted, he would just, he would not let you quit. That was his thing, you know, uh, never be a victim, never quit. Um, and so when you have that inside of you, and you're in Chicago, you know, Chris, Chicago's a political place, you know, especially yeah. when I grew up uh, with the big daily machine. You know, my entire life basically was with one of the dailies as mayor of Chicago. Uh, then Harold Washington won, which was a big thing uh, for the blacks in Chicago. So. You have all that uh, ingrained in you from the time uh, you're a child. You know, Jesse Jackson every Saturday morning was on Operation Push. So there's just so many things that uh, you learn, you know, through 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 life in Chicago. It's, it's really a pretty neat place to grow up in. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles reinvent the way they work. When the pandemic hit, the bike shop had to close their New York City showroom. They found a way to reopen by doing virtual visits on Teams. Now the team can meet with two or three times the number of customers than they could before. And now people from all over the world can come into their showroom. Learn more about their story and others at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Being the son of a policeman, a lieutenant, did you feel like you, you, you had to say something? And did it put you in a tough position? It didn't. Um, I thought... I had to say what was right, you know. Um, you know, Chris, is funny. When I made that speech that uh, people talk about, it was impromptu. It came out. Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't planned. Uh, but it's what my dad would have stood for, you know. Um, you think about uh, growing up in Chicago and, you know, Fred Hampton. There's a movie that's out about him now in the Black Panthers. You know, Fred Hampton went to Proviso East High School. Uh, I swam in the Fred Hampton swimming pool. Uh, 
you know, uh, the, the swimming pool named after him. Now there's a movie about him. Um, and my dad talked about it a lot about, you know, justice and equality. Um, and he used it in the frame of policing as well. And he would tell you that, uh, you know, in Maywood, uh, you're safe, you know, but because, you know, all the cops and, you know, there was not a cop that I didn't know. I could walk down the street and, you know, you see a cop car pull up, slow slowing up behind you. You would slow up until they rolled the windows down to say hi. But when you walked out of that neighborhood, if that same thing happened, you would want to run. You know, um, I think when you look at America and most Americans, they're used to running towards the cops. You know, I was used to that in my town. Uh, that was normal for most Americans, except for black Americans. Uh, but when you get outside of that town, you, you didn't feel safe. And, and that's not what it should be. Uh, we should feel right. very safe. They're, you know, that's what they are. They're peacemakers. You know, and, and so uh, that's what we need to get to. Yeah, maybe the part of the solution is, and I know it sounds old fashioned, Doc, but to have, you know, they talk about cops on the beat in your neighborhood, whatever neighborhood, black, white, Hispanic, that you are familiar with, that they know so they feel comfortable if they have a problem coming to you or if they do wrong, as your as your dad would say, you're you're, you're going to be punished for it. And, and I bring that up because and, and your mom, you said said you're right where you're supposed to be. I, I think maybe you were the uh, the perfect person, even though it was maybe a difficult spot. Uh, when there was also the racial issues with the owner, the then owner of the Clippers, um, who was removed, and you were kind of a, in the spot as the coach, having to deal with players and, and the league. Uh, obviously, that was, again, a situation where you just had to react and do what you thought was best. And I'm sure your mother and father had an influence there. Yeah, they did. And, you know, that was tough, Chris, because, you know, again, uh, usually with things like that, you don't ask to be in it. It just happens to you. Um, and then you have to respond. I've always thought it was interesting that people sometimes focus more on the response of the person that it happened to or the people that it's happening to than the person who actually did it. You know, and the focus should always be on the person who did the wrong. They're again focusing on the response, not on the person, you know, and, the, and that's who should get the heat. So, you know, in the Sterling case, like, it was so difficult because, you know, I was working for that guy. And now I had to go talk to the players uh, as the captain of the ship, you know, and they're looking at me in, in two ways. They're looking at me as a, a coach uh, and maybe a black coach, but they're also looking at me as a guy that is, you know, helping run an organization for races, you know, and so that was a difficult spot. Uh, to be put in. And, you know, the players, I had to remind them uh, in our first meeting that my name was Glenn Rivers and I, I was from Chicago uh, and I'm a black American and that I'm pissed, you know, and, and it's funny. Right. After I said that is when you can see them let their guard back down right. uh, because they right. had got for a moment. And so, um, you know, my whole thing there was I was so worried about one of my players saying something that made them part of the story. Um, right. And that was my concern with that group. And they were phenomenal. Chris Paul and, and Matt Barnes, that whole group, I asked them, can I be the voice? And can I be your voice? And you tell me what you want to say. Um, they agreed to that, which I thought was, was really important 
because that way it wasn't a bunch of people saying stuff. And everything I said was what they were telling me to say, you know, uh, because mm -hmm. it was my job to represent them. And, and I thought, you know, they did a great job in telling me what to say. Did Donald Sterling treat you well? Could you tell that there was this racist undertone when you were around him or working for him? Well, I never saw him. So, yes. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> okay. Oh, so you weren't around him that much. There was always a layer was, between you and him. Okay. You know, he was he was an owner that um, he came to the games. He rarely came. Um, I think he came to the practice facility maybe twice uh, in that one year that I was there. <clears throat> but I knew there was a problem early, Chris, uh, yeah, okay. there when I – we made a trade for J.J. Reddick, which has been written about. And um, I think it was my first month in the job. And the deal was done. It was actually a free agent signing. We got J.J. to change his mind to come to us. I fly back to Orlando. By the time I land, I get a call from Andy Roser, who was the president. And he said, deal's off. And I said, how is the deal off? It's impossible. J.J. agreed. He said, well, Donald doesn't want to sign him. And I said, what do you mean Donald doesn't want to sign him? The guy agreed. He can't renege. And he says, well, Donald doesn't like white players. And I'm like, wait, what? Uh, and he says, no. Okay. He, didn't, he, didn't like, he didn't like white basketball players. I said, we can't do this. And so within a month of that job, Chris, Donald Sterling and I had a, a conversation where I ended up quitting on the spot right. in a parking garage at the Orlando airport. Uh, at least I thought I quit. And, um, you know, two hours later, Andy Rosa calls and said, the deal's done. We're good. I don't know what changed his mind. Um, and so I was back on. But so there was a um, there was some there were some things that you could think after that moment. This may be a rocky road uh, here. Uh, and it turned out to be that. Yep. Again, you're in that, that tough spot. You know, you played against Michael Jordan. I want to go back. You had some epic. Uh, playoff encounters with Kobe, LeBron. I, I love this conversation. I, I, Charles Barkley, I talk to him all the time. You know, from the 70s on, Doc, if we had to pick our like our top five, I think the first three are pretty pretty easy. All-time NBA greats, right? You're blending center positions, you know, uh, to with, with Jabbar and Chamberlain to the point guard, to the, the shooter. We start with Jordan. I mean, would you agree with that? Then let me hear, yeah. your, let me hear yeah. your list. Did you? I don't think Kareem gets enough credit. Uh, of how great he was. You know, Kareem was on the all-defensive team, I think, like 10, 12 years. Yep. I think everyone thinks of Skyhook. They don't think about how great. So he would be on it for me. Uh, Magic uh, would be on it for me as well. Wow. And, uh, okay. Yeah, I just thought Magic's ability to make you better, you know, with his passing and his size. Uh, and that's the three. And then it gets okay. really difficult. LeBron would be on it, obviously. Uh, I think LeBron will go down as the greatest, to have the greatest career in NBA okay. history. Uh, I think, for me, Michael's my GOAT, if, if we have a GOAT. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. But LeBron, LeBron is the GOAT as far as uh, career-wise. You know, so that's how I separate those two. Uh, the last one's tough, man. Like, every time I do this, I changed. I think one guy that we forget about conveniently is Tim Duncan. Uh, he's yep. never mentioned in it, uh, and I think he should be. So today, 
because I just talked to Pop recently. I'm going to put Tim Duncan as my fifth guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so was Kobe in there? Did I miss him or no? He wasn't in that time. No, wasn't Kobe was in the top. Yeah. Like, you know, I've, I've put him on there before. Uh, right. You know, but I go positionally more. So, you know, and Larry Bird, those are the seven that I so, kind of okay. mix around. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I know it's a tough spot. You know, you mentioned Popovich, and, and what, boy, talk about, you know, with him, Phil Jackson, what those guys were able to do as coaches. Uh, and I know you've you've had your own style and, and blend it yet. You were under Fratello. It was Larry Brown, uh, Pat Riley, if we go back, and, and, and so many others. Obviously, your, your dad, too, having what is there is there one guy more than another or one thing that you took from one that you could share with us that has been a staple for you throughout wherever you've been that's that's worked well for you well i've I've been the luckiest man on earth uh as far as coaching you know starting in high school the the glenn winberg was like legendary you know um, right. coaching college with with hank raymond's rick majerus al mcguire uh go to the pros <laughs> yeah yeah that's right yeah, I mean, think about it. I go to the pros and I get Mike Fratello, Pat Riley, Larry Brown. I mean, you, you can't do much better as far as being coached. And so I, I took a lot from all of them. I would say Pat Riley, though, for me. Uh, Pat Riley made me really want to coach. I always thought about it as a player, you know, either going to broadcasting or coaching. And uh, But after playing for Pat Riley and the way he coached and the way he drove us and the way he bonded us with his uh, verbal skills. Um, there was no doubt uh, that right. if most of me comes from him. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles transform the way they work. After closing their New York City showroom, they started doing virtual visits on Teams. And now people from all over the world can come into their showroom. Learn more at Microsoft.com Teams. Yeah, that's kind of your early stamp too on 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 the seventy sixers, right? That whatever we are, it's 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 not good enough, right? Or we have to be better. I, I'm not sure you can phrase it, but it does it does doc right start in the mind. I mean, you have to do the physical things and have the skill, but this is where it begins. It does. Uh, team building is so important. Um, you know, if you don't get your team to want to give themselves to each other, uh, grow together, uh, each guy. Uh, learns that they have to be a star in their own role uh, and that that role is just as important as the other guy's role and to buy into each other, you're not winning in this league. Uh, you're just not. And so you can have all the talent in the world. I've had teams that are extremely talented that, that didn't win, uh, at least win it. I, you know, it's funny. I've not had many losing seasons in my coaching career. But for me, unless you win it, you know, Chris – it, it, it's a crash landing, you know. Right. It's funny. That's one. When I was in Boston, Bill Belichick, they lost that uh, that when they were undefeated, and they lose they lose to the Giants, and, and we're talking. Um, and he says, "Man, either you land the plane and you get off, and there's fanfare, or there's a crash landing." And and, and that's so true uh, in so many ways. What, yeah, so maybe <clears throat> what would define your personality more, the hating to lose or, or the loving to win? Boy, that's – I don't know. I, I think my players would say the hating to lose. Um, okay. I think I would say the enjoyment of winning. Uh, but one of my players this year told me that I'm not a very good loser. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, he said it in a very sarcastic, funny way. Uh, it was yeah. after a loss – after the practice the next day, 
uh, which was a very rough practice. And uh, he walked by me and said, you don't take losing uh, very well. So <laughs> I said, I hope you don't. That's right. If you push that on them. How about the most unselfish player you've ever coached? Is oh, somebody Kevin at the head of the list? That, yeah. yeah, Kevin Garnett. That's the easiest okay. question you've asked today. Like he is the <laughs> every coach, Chris, every coach should have the honor of coaching Kevin Garnett. Honestly, he's he, he is a, he's like Tom Brady in the fact that you show up and he changes the culture. You know, Tampa Bay, okay. watching him play football, yeah. that was a culture change. That's what that was. That wasn't Tom Brady walked in. That's what Kevin Garnett does. He, he comes in, uh, he preaches it, he does it, and he holds everybody accountable. And so from a coach, when you have a player like that, it allows you to do your job and, and knows that you can turn your back and everything is safe uh, because he's in the organization. Wow, that's uh, that's nice here. So you've coached, let's see, Tracy McGrady, Orlando. You had the big three in Boston. Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, uh, Clippers. You got you got Ben and, and Joel here in Philly. Uh, uh, former players, current guys. If somebody had to take that last game-winning shot, right, and they could all hit it, we know. But who who would be first in line out of those guys? God, on the guys that I've coached, the game-winning yeah. shot. Uh, wow, you set it up for them. That's a tough right. one. I would probably go with either Paul or Ray. Uh, okay. I mean, Ray Allen, man. Ray Allen, um, I tell you, he, he's one of those guys, and I want to say it was against Philadelphia, but I don't know who it was against because I get it mixed up. But I want to say he was 0 for 9, 0 for 10 in the game, and I drew the play up to end the game for him, and he made it. Um, you know, Paul was a little bit like that as well. You know, Hubert Brown told me some years ago uh, that I believe if you don't have closers on your team, you're not winning anything, you know, and it's the same thing. I always use that in business. Like if you have a big business deal, you send it in the closer, right? To close that deal. Right. It's the same thing about teams. So when you're looking at teams, look at who, what the closers they have on that team. If you have closers on your team, uh, you're going to win a lot of games. And, we won a lot in Boston because we had both of those guys. Give me five. These are these five simple questions. You fill in the blank. Uh, and I'm talking to you, number one. Uh, if I was not involved in sports, my career would be in what? Politics, most likely. Uh, really? Okay. Would you, by the way, yeah. would you run, Doc, at some point after your playing days? Uh, you know, you're never, never too old, apparently, to run for office. No? You wouldn't. Yeah, I guess you're never too old. <laughs> I never, you know, I, my, my interest was interest group politics. I wanted to be a lobbyist uh, because I would far rather be the man behind the man than the man, at least in politics. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, how about the, uh, the best way for me to calm myself down is what? Uh, meditation. I meditate. Okay. Uh, yeah, I do transcendental meditation. So that would be definitely the one. How much time is enough there? You need 15 minutes. Could you do 10? Is the longer the better? What's well, the I can good do time? Five. I do it right before I walk out, you know, uh, really? before a game. Uh, and okay. I'm often even have time, even for two minutes, just to, to gather myself. All right. Uh, the person that I met that wowed me the most was? Ooh, that's a hard one. I, I would say Muhammad Ali, you know, okay. he was, wow. he was my, <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to go ahead and say Muhammad Ali. Okay. Give me a few others, though, after him, because he is the greatest. I uh, need to tell you, I know. Yeah, Muhammad Ali Anybody would else? be one. Um, 
there, there's, there's a lot of political figures. I'm meeting President okay. Obama, meet George Bush uh, Jr. when he yeah. was uh, okay. as the governor of Texas. Uh, we had a long talk, which I thought was 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 pretty cool, you know. Um, and you know, the the last one that I would say, and it's a combination of guys, but Andrew Young and John Lewis. Um, I got okay. a chance to find with those guys uh, when when Andrew Young was trying to run for governor uh, right. of Georgia, and so I would say that those two people probably had the biggest impact. That's a that's an impressive group. All right, just a couple more. Uh, J.D. Fox does a great impression of you. I mean, it's, it's it's spot on, right? So if you could do an impression of any celebrity, singer, I don't know, musician, comedian, actor, who who would it be? You don't have well, to do I it, can. but if you wanted, I can't. Okay. But if I could, it'd probably be Morgan Freeman. Uh, Morgan, okay. I love his right. Yeah, so that would be mine. Yeah, good one. All right, and if uh, if uh, you were the NBA commissioner for a day. Uh, what's the one thing or the first thing that you would you would do? Wow, that's a tough one right there. Um, I would still work on the travel schedule. Um, okay. I, that's I, I think that's the toughest thing they have. Uh, but to make the games even more competitive, uh, taking away all the back to backs, you know. Um, so I would work in those rounds because I think we have a, the best thing going right now in basketball. I, I think this is a the best, the, the the games, the players right now are unbelievable, uh, but fatigue's a factor. So I would try to solve that. Yeah, it could help the quality of play and and the endurance, yeah. uh, the, the length of players. You could, by, by the way, that's another thing that you know. I, I years ago I sat with you in the '90s on a, a TV interview show and asked you what you wanted to do when you were a player, and you said be a coach one day. You've done that. Maybe be a commissioner. I'm not going to rush out anybody, no. but uh, no, thank no, you. no <laughs> You, you've had enough of the responsibility. Okay. So yeah. you're, you'd be a good politician, though, Doc, because you let somebody else, right, take all the... <laughs> let them all oh, do all good. the work. And, yeah, I'll pass uh, on that job. That is, that commission uh, job, Adam Silver, I mean, he gets it from, I call him all the time yeah. to complain. I never call right. him say, hey, Adam, how are you? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that is a hard, hard job. You're getting it from every angle, owners, players, coaches, fans. <laughs> That is a tough job. It is. Well, I'm glad you have the job you have. We wish you a lot of success in Philadelphia, wherever you've been. Player, coach, broadcaster, always enjoy uh, talking to you. Thanks for being on. Talk to you again sometime. You take care, Doc. Chris, great seeing you. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles reinvent the way they work. When the pandemic hit, the bike shop had to close their New York City showroom. They found a way to reopen by doing virtual visits on Teams. Now the team can meet with two or three times the number of customers than they could before. And now people from all over the world can come into their showroom. Learn more about their story and others at Microsoft.com slash Teams. 